2: Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602 Doing some fun upgrades around here, uh, technologically speaking. So, uh, Bill and David, thanks for working um, a, little, a little overtime through those things. Um, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the week and didn't get a chance to do it. And it's just so... Darn good. You know, we got great response from that interview I did with Major Rocks, Pix- uh, Ross Pixler yesterday. Ross Pixler yesterday. Um, by the way, that book signing tonight, uh, if you still want to go, is at uh, 6 p.m. at the Barnes & Noble at uh, Chandler in the 101. Chandler Boulevard in the 101. Um, I got so much great feedback on it, more than a lot of it in- than I think any other interview this week or in, the- in recent um, recent weeks, about the formation of, of young, young boys. And, gosh, it turns out of all the cultural issues that we're dealing with now, it still comes back, I think, to that, uh, the formation of our youth. I still think our youth policy is the most uh, obviously involving politics, as its name implies, policy, as it's informed, though, and shaped by the culture uh, whether it's educational culture, parental culture, um, hero, heroes culture, uh, professional culture, I, I still think it 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 leads to the most drastic of consequences if we fail at it, and um, the most uh, benevolent and aspirational when we succeed at it. Uh, the war against boys was a huge mistake. We are. Reaping those dividends now, obviously, with so much of the news that we've been discussing all week and that you cannot seem to escape from in any week, whether on this show or most shows. Television, radio, newspaper, most media. You talk about and instantiate the notion that boys should be ashamed of themselves. Being masculine is toxic. Misunderstanding the martial virtues um, and you an- end up in a world where you can only hope that where there are no men, someone will be a man. And Ross Pixler and what he was talking about yesterday with us went straight at that. So when we do see them and we do find them um, speaking, they say and speak things that to an earlier ear, an earlier ear wouldn't have sounded strange when uttered, wouldn't have sounded noble when uttered, wouldn't have sounded um, different or distinctive when when uttered. But then again, they wouldn't have had to have been uttered in those times. There was a general assumption about things like right and wrong. There were general acceptances of how we wanted our culture to be run here without even hardly ever having to think about it or say the obvious. We've reached a point, as George Orwell warned long ago, where it is now seemingly the brave and honorable thing to simply restate the obvious when ordinary civic ritual is rare. Remember when that? Um, I remember thinking when that uh, when that uh, football player fell to the ground with a heart attack, and we were all praising how wonderful it was that members of both teams surrounded him in prayer, and what a beautiful sight that was. I was talking with someone saying, of course it was. Of course it was a beautiful sight. Of course it was a beautiful thing, and obviously, beyond peradventure, the right thing to do. What struck me as odd was that how much discussion there was about it. Why should there be notice? Why should there be distinctiveness? Why should it be an aberrational thing in our culture to see fellow human beings, never mind members of the same profession on the same field of play, surrounding someone in pain with prayer? is what we call an ordinary civic ritual, isn't it? A natural thing to do. And, um, and that's the point we've reached, though, in this culture. The ordinary, the things we used to take for granted, the things that wouldn't raise eyebrows in their decency now do and deserve obvious praise, because they have become rarefied, haven't they? Long wind-up... To uh, what I did talk about earlier this week in uh, Marion County, Florida, where that awful murder of those three teens took place. And uh, the Marion County Sheriff in Florida, Billy Woods, gave a press conference that many missed because it took place, I think, on Good Friday, if not Saturday, the Saturday uh, before Easter is either Friday or the Saturday. I think it was the Saturday morning, actually. Uh, before Easter, between Good Friday and Easter, when a lot of families weren't watching the news, obviously. And this sheriff, Billy Woods, uh, was just wonderful and spoke those kinds of things, the kinds of things that if uttered decades prior wouldn't have raised eyebrows, but then again, as I say, wouldn't have had to have been uttered in decades prior. He was looking for... To solve, obviously, to solve the murder, to arrest the suspects in the murder of those three children, those three teens. And he had arrested two fellow teen gang members and was looking for a third. It was a gang, gang, gang member killing. Uh, the three victims were not members of the gang. The three alleged perpetrators were. And the media wouldn't publish the picture of the final or the third suspect because it was an well take your pick as to what the reasons were they had a policy he said of not publicizing the picture of a youth even a wanted youth a suspect in a murder the media had a policy of not publicizing the face we can debate that one if you want i know where i am i'm where billy woods was and Part of his press conference, knowing that there were national television, uh, nationalized television networks filming it, he put up the picture. He said, because the local media won't, I will. I have no problem putting up this man's face. And the reason I'm putting it up is so that you will help us find him. There are people who know where this young boy is. The suspect in a vicious murder. There are people who can help us. And if the media won't, I'm appealing to you and the community to do so. The press conference was fantastic. I, I, I just I wanted to play some of it, if I could. I just wanted to play some of it. It was that good.
0: And at some point, these three individuals turned on our three victims and murdered them. Two of them right there. They fled the scenes, but left a lot of evidence in their wake through the cooperation of the agencies that I previously mentioned and my office, we were able to begin compiling all of the evidence and finding these killers. Now we were shocked and saddened by the violence as all of my citizens
2: we have to go to break should i pick it up on the other side We're no We're okay
0: not only are the victims juveniles but the murderers are juveniles as well i know each of you in the media here and viewers out there probably heard us in law enforcement or even in community events talk about what is the problem and i'm gonna go ahead and address the first thing that i know it's going to come up because there are individuals out there viewing, and to include some of you media, who want to blame the one thing that has no ability or the capacity to commit the crime itself. And that's the gun. These individuals committed the crime. And what's the solution? I wish I could give you that answer because this world would be a whole lot better. But the fact is, society fails it. We do not hold our juveniles accountable. We minimize their actions. Let me tell you why I say this. Last night, I had to stare into the eyes of two mothers. It's not their fault. Because what I saw last night was two mothers who are willing to give their sons everything. Do everything for them and give them their own lives.
3: He went
2: on to say that the problem begins in schools and that schools won't discipline these children, and that they have let the schools run riot. You know, Riley Gaines at San Francisco State University last week said the inmates have taken over the asylum there. Unfortunately, in too many elementary and secondary schools, that's true as well. And God bless Billy Woods for saying it and pointing it out.
1: We'll be right back.
2: With all the uncertainty in the economy from market volatility, bank failures, recession on the horizon, why refi is offering an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on and off. You can compound it, whatever you like, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% interest rate. That's right. 10.25%. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I've been there several times and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. And when you meet with them at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much. They might ask if you want to play the trumpet a little bit. They've got a few there, and I learned a little bit while I was there. Um, check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, a due diligence approved firm. Give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. Just, yeah, I just wanted this one more part from Sheriff Billy Woods in his press conference speaking truths that were just unfortunately too rare.
0: I know each of you in the media here and viewers out there probably heard us in law enforcement or even in community events talk about what is the problem and i'm gonna go ahead and address the first thing that i know it's going to come up because there are individuals out there viewing
2: Oh, we did this TV. part, didn't we? Yes, I, I thought he was going to talk about the schools. All right. Well, I apologize for uh, for having that video twi- that audio uh, together twice, but the part I didn't get to—you'll take my word for it, or you can get it on on YouTube yourself. Jesse Waters also interviewed him. You can find that online as well. Was that we coddled too much at the school level, and we put up with too much at the school level? Dave's in surprise. Hello, Dave. How are you, sir?
1: Very blessed, teacher. Thank you so much.
2: Good. Good to hear. Good to hear.
1: Yeah, we've we've done that for too long. This is something you and I talked about a lot in 2019 and the very beginning of 2000, um, that we needed to somehow shift our focus from federal elections to state elections because they end up being more impactful for us. Um, And, you know, I go back to C.S. Lewis quite often Men without chess, we have not been able to stand up for our spouses, wives, children, and defend them against this Marxist revolution. And it's been going on, you know, some of us have identified it for years, but it's not even been decades, it's been generations. And unfortunately, the Republican Party does such a poor job of retail messaging that uh, we don't stand for our morals, That that we typically that we uphold and hold in our
2: hearts. Thank you. Yeah, that's why it is so rare when you hear someone speaking these kinds of basic truths. You're right, we've been fighting it for years, Dave, um, decades. The difference is that the fight changed because the fight, in a way, was easier. There was a united, um, I should say, united and concerted uh, dis. A united and concerted hate—that's the word I need—a united and concerted hate across both parties for communism, but one party would allow it to creep in and grow, and one wouldn't. And it's that creeping in and growth that has um, that has brought us to where we are, where it is so much more pronounced now and more accepted now than it ever was. It used to be unacceptable. Now it's acceptable. Um David Dahl, my associate producer, was playing—I was talking about Harry Belafonte's support for East German communism in 1983, and David uh, reminded me—well, i well, told me. I didn't know. David Dahl told me that Harry Belafonte was campaigning for John Kennedy in 1960, 1959, 1960, David. Was it 60 or 59 that—what you played for me? I think it was 60. But yeah, 1960. And, um, and what was interesting to me about that is that same quote that I was giving you from Barry Goldwater of that same year in my monologue. What was interesting to me about that was that Barry Goldwater warned in 1960 that if we allow the Democrats to win, we are allowing for his phrase, the blueprint for socialism. The Blueprint for socialism. Blueprint is a draft, as you know. it's what architects draw up. Um, it's not the thing itself. He warned about it coming and there you had a committed socialist already endorsing a John Kennedy and a John Kennedy willing to take the endorsement because he needed the uh, the scepter. Uh, being uh, the scepter being tapped on his shoulders for the ma- ma- issue of civil rights. But it ain't a blueprint anymore because we have been lax about it, Dave, you're right. Because we have dismissed it as, you know, just a, a fanciful notion that you hear from elite entertainers and professors at universities, which is why... I, continually say, and will continue to say, that we were wrong to dismiss it like that. The lab had a leak. The ivory tower had a leak. And that lab leak was far more toxic to us than what came out of Wuhan. came out of the universities, and it changed not our lungs, but our brains. Josh Hammer is someone who gets that. He'll be right with us when we come right back.
0: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson
2: show. as promised it is a delight to bring back our friend, Josh Hammer. He is the opinion editor over at newsweek, the host of the Josh Hammer show. That's a great podcast. You want to listen to that syndicated columnist among other things, just a great, great thinker, great uh, thought leader and uh, great friend. Uh, his most recent piece up in Newsweek, I, it's instructive reading, and I can't say um, how instructive it is. You will hear. It. It's titled "The Only Way Out Is Through." Josh, welcome back to the show in the airways of Phoenix. Seth, a pleasure as always. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, Rod Dreher, "The Benedict Option: A Strategy for Christians in a Post-Christian Nation," uh, is uh, is instructive reading here too. You cite it going into your column. Tell us about your column and what you're driving at and how Rod Dreyer's thesis uh, pushes us in the right direction here.
3: Sure. So Rod is a good friend of mine, and he wrote a, a popular and influential book in 2017 called The Benedict's Option, where he basically said that amidst the onslaught, and really in 2017, the time he wrote it, that onslaught had really already – or only begun in earnest, I should say. It's obviously gotten substantially worse since then. But he basically said that amidst this, the best prescription, the best path forward for enduring this, if you are a a traditional, a religious person, a conservative just in general, is basically to try to retreat to your readout, to your communities where you can form kind of like-minded friendships and and be around fellow people. And uh, that's, that's true to an extent, right? right? I mean, that is right. That is right to an extent. I mean, I think voting with your feet is a real thing. I I live in Florida. I'm very happy. I live in a state where I have a strong Republican governor, and I think I think that there's a lot of truth to that. But it's a necessary but not sufficient condition. Correct. And and Rod, to be clear, knows this as well. I don't yeah. want to throw Rod on the bus here, <laughs> right, but. Right. but 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 the point is you have to be willing also to get your hands dirty because yep. the left is coming to us. As my friend Eric Erickson said about a decade ago in the context of the same-sex marriage battles, you will be made to care. Right. And time and time again, they're going to find us. Yeah. I mean wokeism is kind of a one-way ratchet. It's an ever-receding tide that like Pac-Man, like I write in the column, just gobbles up more and mm-hmm. more and more. It will never be satiated. It will never be full. And we have to be willing to get our hands dirty.
2: One, Well, yes, absolutely, because we have to live in the culture and environment that, uh, I mean, you know, you, you, you can retreat to almost any environment and people still know who Dylan Mulvaney is. Um, and the other part of it, too, Josh, is it, it's kind of a line I've been using a lot more lately, increasingly lately. You may not be interested in political philosophy, but it's interested in you. Don't you agree with that?
3: One hundred percent. I mean, I'd be as basically saying the same thing as um, as you will be made to care. Yeah, I
2: mean, that, that's exactly right.
3: It's, it's, it's the same sentiments, right? Um, especially nowadays. I mean, once upon a time, that probably was not necessarily true. That's I right. Mean, I, 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 Before I, I, mass
2: I media was, and all the rest. Yes, I think that's right
3: for mass media and also really kind of back when the states had more power and voting with your feet really actually could actually really do a whole lot. And then the federal government was substantially weaker than it is. And, the and when the we state. were a
2: stronger country. I mean, you know, yes. when, when, you know, the only thing you were taught not to marry when you grew up, didn't matter what race you married, but the only thing you couldn't marry was a communist, right? I mean, we were a different country 30, 40, 50 years ago.
3: Yeah, profoundly so. So, Things have changed, and in particular, the current focus of, of, of my attention and you know your attention and many others is the threat that is posed from a from a hegemonic woke agenda. And I just think, time and time again, I, I try to kind of sound the alarm and just rally my fellow conservatives and say, the time where we prioritize live and let live, where we prioritize even civility above right. all else, right. that time has passed. That's we right. have to be willing to contest be the- it very dicey and, and and morally thorny issues, or else we're just going to get eaten alive out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, there is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Christians and Jews both know that from Ecclesiastes. This was a short segment where we just set up the thesis. Let's run down some of the examples you do on the other side of this break, if I can. Everyone will be familiar with them, and I think it's instructive what you've laid out here. I am Seth Liebson. He is Josh Hammer, critical listening to, critical reading, editor, opinion editor over at Newsweek and the host of his own great podcast, The Josh the Josh Hammer Show. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leibson Show. I am Seth. Josh Hammer is our guest. He is the opinion editor over at Newsweek and uh, the host of The Josh Hammer Show, his own great podcast you can get on any platform. Syndicated columnist years ago. I mean, this... Josh, this goes back, gosh, maybe 20, 25 years ago. I remember a book Michael Medved wrote, something in that book. He said, for those who say uh, if you don't like the culture, turn it off, is like saying if you don't like the air, don't breathe it. It's, it's almost impossible to do. In another time, as we were pointing out, you could – um, and yes, obviously, it makes sense with a lot of decisions we make with our children and how to educate them. But we have to be involved in the water in which we swim, lest we find it so polluted we we will all die. And uh, and and you know, I I, I kind of think that is what the march of progressivism or neo Marxism kind of wants from us. They want to erase us, uh, and in so doing, this country and every good thing about it. You uh, run down through a you run through a litany of recent events that, that that help show us the way out and how to get there the way through. Uh, let's start with Anheuser Bush and the dramatic pushback to it today. The head of Anheuser Bush put out probably the most mealy mouthed statement he could. But it shows that maybe he's paying attention a little bit and had to say something. It was dramatically insufficient. But anyway, you take it from there, Josh, on anheuser Bush.
3: So the pushback to anheuser Bush over the Dylan Mulvaney terrible, from my perspective, has been genuinely inspiring. It really has been. I mean, there's any number of examples now of kind of high-profile celebrities. Just the other day, I saw that John Rich country star – who owns a popular bar in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, he said that Bud Light was formerly the best-selling beer at his bar, but he was going to go ahead now and cancel all new shipments of Bud Light because no one was buying it anymore. And, you know, Seth, when this first broke around the time of the NCAA tournament March Madness Final Four a couple weeks ago, I I had so many generally apolitical friends just text me out of the blue and say how outraged they were. One childhood friend in particular who doesn't work – anywhere near this business that you or I are in. He texted me was like, I can't believe what they did of a lifelong loyal customer and never buying from them again. And they've lost about $4.5 to $5 billion in, in, in market cap, if I, if I have the number. Yeah, you do. That's what I saw. It's a gobsmacking huge statistic. And the fact that the CEO of, of Van Heyser Bush felt compelled to put out the statement that he did, to me, I read that as then just stains the world we are hurting and basically pleading to just stop the bleeding now unfortunately the statement didn't really say anything i mean it was it was a big fat nothing burger it was totally bland which is why my former colleague matt walsh i saw immediately tweeted out and said that this is nothing keep the boycott going which is definitely my instinct as well but the fact they even said something definitely indicates to me that they are feeling the pain, and and, and that is inspiring. It's inspiring that conservatives can mobilize just like the left is. There's really nothing inherently wrong with the idea of a boycott. I I hear a lot of people, I I heard Sean Hannity on, on his Fox News program just last night say that he's not necessarily prone or indicated towards boycotts, and maybe that's right. Maybe conservatives by their nature do not want to kind of get their hands dirty in this nature, but all you're really doing is exercising in mass a consumer preference in the market. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's truly nothing wrong with
2: that. I, I agree with you. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm supportive of it. My only concern is. Too many times we've called and thought we might call on these boycotts to take place, and they may work for a couple weeks. So this does the important thing about today in in the wake of the head of Anheuser Bush's statement is that is what your friend Matt Walsh said. You got to keep it going. We conservatives cannot let up on the accelerator on this thing. The the, the, the damage is ongoing, and thus so should be our response. Right? I mean. Let's not go totally. wobbly here. We we didn't do it with Disney. We said we would and we didn't. And it it by the way, when we say we're gonna do it and we don't, that sends a signal too, or can't, right?
3: That's right. No, that's exactly right. So it's been about a year now since the DeSantis versus Disney fight began in earnest and I, I hope that I speak for many when I say that I have not forgotten, and I have no... I haven't either. I got rid of
2: all my my stuff, but... but yeah, uh, I... I no. go, go ahead, sir. No, no, no. We're on the same page, as usual. Keep oh, going.
3: No, no. Just, I mean, I have no intentions of going to Disney World anytime soon or anything like that. But, 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 but here is the broader point, Seth, and I know I, I know that you and I are of one mind on this. The real kind of theoretical intellectual tension that I think we're seeing exposed here... I was reading an article earlier today that was calling out the right anti Bud Light, anti Anheuser-Busch boycott efforts as being, uh, you know, slightly hypocritical because the right purports to oppose so-called cancel culture. Oh, but okay. here's, where I, here's where I know you. <laughs> okay, yeah, here, yeah, here's okay. where I... <laughs> all
2: right, now now we're in the sweet spot that only five of us <laughs> occupy, including you and me. Okay, all right. But,
3: but, but this is the folly of so-called cancel
1: culture, yep. right? Yep.
3: I, I, is that there is no such thing, obviously, as absolutism when it comes to... Free market absolutism, free speech absolutism, there has to be some sort of moral undergird. Things have to be oriented towards certain ends so this is this is why, for years now, I have tried to warn conservatives about not relying too hard on the rhetoric and the paradigm of cancel culture. Right. And I'm happy to see that some seems to be waking up to that.
2: Yes, it's it it is canceling only when they are being canceled for saying something totally rational, totally legitimate—the kind of stuff that is debated on the house floors of every state legislature, including the U.S. Congress. It is illegitimate when it hurts someone's feelings because they disagree with you politically. A, a pretty easy test for me.
3: Right, right, exactly, right, and. You know, I, that it was always kind of an unsustainable notion, the notion that half the country would just vociferously oppose cancel culture here, or there, and everywhere, right. no matter what. Right. Um, it's just its just totally turning it on its head. But, you know, I think back to kind of a bygone era of the same-sex marriage fights of a decade ago or so. And yep. as, as, I, as I pointed out in the column, you know, I, I remember like it was yesterday when the big lefty move on left-wing Twitter, on the left-wing publications, was to boycott Chick-fil-A That's over, right. the, That's right. over, over the Kathy the, the family's yep. stance on Christianity and ultimately traditional marriage and their opposition to yep. redefi- redefining marriage. Yep. And there were so many on our side that at that time basically said, oh, these boycotts are for the left, mm-hmm. You know, the, there's no reason. You know, my former boss Ben Shapiro, actually, mm-hmm. the Daily Wire, he has totally flipped on this, and Ben would be the first person to admit that, I think. you know He used to be a, a big opponent of, of kind of mimicking the left behavior when it comes to that, but at some point, I can't remember then, he, he changed his tune, and you know, he's very forthright and candid about it. And I, I think more people are just realizing that that is just the nature of the beast right now. Like, we really do not have a choice. And again, this is kind of the point of the column, is the only way out is through. There's no just escaping reality. We are in this predicament due to no particular fault of our own other than our own kind of political impotence and our own inability to elect good statesmen, good judges, all of that. But here we are. And we have to fight.
2: I remember in the '60s, perhaps early '70s, a lot of good-hearted or good or well-meaning liberals would say about people like the Jerry Rubens of the world and the underground: I like their ends, I just don't like their means. I think what we need to say on the right about what we've seen the left do for the last uh, 50, 60 years is we uh, we like their means, we just don't like their ends. Josh, let me take a quick break and have you come back with a concluding thought, if 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 you can. I'll be right back. Josh Hammer is our guest, opinion editor at New. Newsweek host of The Josh Hammer Show, syndicated columnist. Fridays are always uh, difficult, especially for those on the East Coast. Josh, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, we usually uh, we usually would give you a lot more. But uh, in the couple minutes we have left, literally two and a half or so, message to the right, message to conservatives, message to not even those who affiliate with conservatism, but just kind of still see the world through the lens of common sense. Concluding point, sir. Sure.
3: So, you know, once again, my, my message is, we cannot unilaterally disarm when it comes to the contestation of the most pressing issues facing American society. And that, yes, that very much includes the ballot box. I, you know, I think men are political animals by their very nature. You know, I think the Greeks understood that quite well. And that obviously does mean that we have an obligation to get involved with politics and ultimately to try to elect good statesmen who will seek human flourishing and the common good of the society. But it's not just the political process. I mean, this, this is really the key point, right? I mean, this whole Bud Light incident really is just kind of shining a spotlight, I think, on the problem of woke capital. And I think back to what our governor here in Florida, Ron DeSantis, wrote in his Wall Street Journal op-ed about a month and a half ago or so, where he basically said just, Good old-fashioned corporate capital Republicanism ain't going to cut it anymore. It is, it is simply no longer up to the current task of the moment. When corporations start – corporations in particular, when they start to act like political animals that are trying to implement a sweeping agenda to effectuate cultural and civilizational change, they can and should be batted around and treated. As such, when they overreach or overstep, so I, I am just fully on board with Good. things like this Bud Light book boycott, oh. and I, I, I hope it continues.
2: Yeah, I, I, I hope it does too, and I think Anheuser Bush. You know, I don't know if they pushed the envelope. I don't know if it's true that this was done uh, somewhat ultra-virus without the full authority of everyone else at the higher uh, echelons of the company. I just don't know. But clearly, the left has been getting away with too much for too long, and the rest of the country ain't ready for what they've been selling, and we're not going to be buying it. And that's the message that needs to be sent in other words, maybe the stop starts here. Josh Hammer, God bless you. You're just such a good friend and such a great writer and thinker. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Really appreciate it.
3: It's always a pleasure, Seth.
2: You betcha. Thank you, Josh. Go get them. I am Seth Leibson, folks. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. We take none of you or it for granted. It means a ton that you would let us into your cars and into your homes, into your hearts, into your heads. So, with all of that thanks and gratitude in mind, until Monday, God bless you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.
1: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military.
0: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.